Section 14 of The Emperor of Portugalia by Selma Lagerlöf. Translated by Velma Swanston Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Lars Rolander. Section 14. Stars. When the little girl had been gone nearly eight months, who should come stalking into the barn at Falla one fine day, while Jan stood threshing there, but mad Ingeborg. Mad Ingeborg was first cousin to Jan, but as she was afraid of Katrina, he seldom saw her. It was to escape meeting Jan's wife that she had sought him out at Falla during his work hours. Jan was none too pleased to see Ingeborg. She was not exactly insane, but flighty, and a terrible chatterer. He went right on with his work, taking no notice of her. "'Stop your threshing, Jan,' she said, "'so that I can tell you what I dreamt about you last night.' "'You'd better come some other time, Ingeborg,' Jan suggested. "'If Lars Gunnarsson hears that I'm resting from my work, "'he'll be sure to come over to see what's up.' "'I'll be as quick as quick can be.' If you remember, I was the brightest child in our family, which doesn't give me much to brag about, as the rest of you were a dull lot. You were going to tell me about a dream, Jan reminded her. In a minute, in a minute. You mustn't be afraid. I understand, understand. Hard master now at Falla, hard master. But don't be uneasy for you'll not be scolded on my account. There's no danger of that when you're with a sensible person like me. Jan would have liked to hear what she dreamt about him, for, confident as he was of the ultimate realization of his great expectations, he nevertheless sought assurances from all quarters. But now mad Ingeborg was wandering along her own thought-road, and at such times it was not easy to stop her. She went very close to Jan then, bending over him, her eyes shut tight, her head shaking, the words came pouring out of her mouth. "'Don't be so scared. Do you suppose I'd be standing here talking to you while you're threshing at Falla?' If I didn't know, the master had gone up to the forest, and the mistress was down at the village selling butter. Always keep them in mind, says the catechism. I know enough for that, and take good care not to come round when they can see me. Get out of the way, Ingeborg, otherwise the flail might hit you. Think how you boys used to beat me when we were children, she rattled on. Even now I have to take thrashings, but when it came to catechism examinations I could beat you all. No one can catch Ingeborg napping, the dean used to say. She always knows her lessons. And I'm good friends with the little missus at Lövdala Manor. I recite the catechism for them both questions and answers, from beginning to end. And what a memory I've got! I know the whole Bible by heart, 
and the hymn-book too and all the dean's sermons shall i recite something for you or would you rather hear me sing jan said nothing whatever but went to threshing again ingeborg undaunted seated herself on a sheaf of straw and struck up a chant of some twenty stanzas then she repeated a couple of chapters from the bible whereupon she got up and went out jan thought she had gone for good but in a little while she reappeared in the doorway of the barn hold still she whispered hold still now we'll say nothing but what we were going to say only be still still then up went her forefinger now she held her body rigid and her eyes open no other thoughts no other thoughts she said we'll keep to the subject only hush your pounding she waited till jan minded her you came to me last night in a dream yes that was it you came to me and i says to you like this are you out for a walk jan of the ashdales yes says you but now i'm jan of the vale of longings then we'll met says i there's where i have lived all my life whereupon she disappeared again and jan startled by her strange words did not immediately resume his work but stood pondering in a moment or two she was there again i remember now what brought me here she told him i wanted to show you my stars on her arm was a small covered basket bound with cord and while she tugged and pulled at the knot to loosen it she chattered like a magpie they are real stars these when one lives in the vale of longings one isn't satisfied with the things of earth then one is compelled to go out and look for stars there is no other choice now you too will have to go in search of them no no ingeborg returned jan i'll confine my search to what is to be found on this earth for goodness sake hush cried the woman you don't suppose i'm such a fool as to go a-hunting for those which remain in the heavens do you i only seek the kind that have fallen i've got some sense i guess she opened her basket which was filled with a variety of stars she had evidently picked up at the manors there were tin stars and glass stars and paper stars ornaments from christmas trees and confectionery they are real stars fallen from the sky she declared you are the only person i've shown them to i'll let you have a couple whenever you need them thanks ingeborg said jan when the time comes that i shall have need of stars which may be right soon i don't think i'll ask you for them then at last mad ingeborg left it was some little time however before jan went back to his threshing to him this too was a finger-pointing 
not that a crack-brained person like ingeborg could know anything of glory goldie's movements but she was one of the kind who sensed it in the air when something extraordinary was going to happen she could see and hear things of which wise folk never had an inkling waiting engineer boreas of borry was in the habit of strolling down to the pier mornings to meet the steamer he had only a short distance to go through his beautiful pine grove and there was always someone on the boat with whom he could exchange a few words to vary the monotony of country life at the end of the grove where the road began an abrupt descent to the pier were some large bare rocks upon which folk who had come from a distance used to sit while waiting for the boat and there were always many who waited at the borg pier and there was never any certainty as to when the boat would arrive it seldom put in before twelve o'clock and yet once in a while it reached the pier as early as eleven sometimes it did not come until one or two so that prompt people who were down at the landing by ten o'clock often had to sit there for hours engineer boreus had a good outlook over lake leuven from his chamber window at borry he could see when the steamer rounded the point and never appeared at the landing until just in the nick of time therefore he did not have to sit on the rocks and wait and would only cast a glance in passing at those who were seated there however one summer he noticed a meek-looking little man with a kindly face sitting there waiting day after day the man always sat quite still seemingly indifferent until the boat hove in sight then he would jump to his feet his face shining with joyous anticipation and rush down the incline to the far end of the pier where he would stand as if about to welcome someone but nobody ever came for him and when the boat pulled out he was as alone as before then as he turned to go home the light of happiness gone from his face he looked old and worn he seemed hardly able to drag himself up the hill engineer boreus was not acquainted with the man but one day when he again saw him sitting there gazing out upon the lake he went up and spoke to him he soon learned that the man's daughter who had been away for a time was expected home that day are you quite certain she's coming to-day said the engineer i've seen you sitting here waiting every day for the past two months in that case she must have sent you wrong instructions before oh no replied the man quietly indeed she hasn't given me any wrong instructions then what in the name of god do you mean demanded the engineer gruffly for he was a choleric man you've sat here and waited day after day without her coming yet you say she has not given you wrong instructions no answered the meek little man 
looking up at the engineer with his mild, limpid eyes. She couldn't have, as she has not sent any instructions. Hasn't she written to you? No. We've had no letter from her since the first day of last October. Then why do you idle away your mornings down here? asked the engineer wonderingly. Can you afford to leave off working like this? No, replied the man, smiling to himself. I suppose it's wrong in me to do so, but all that will soon be made good. Is it possible that you're such a stupid ass as to hang around here when there's no occasion for it? roared the engineer furiously. You ought to be shut up in a madhouse. The man said nothing. He sat with his hands clasped round his knees, quite unperturbed. A smile played about his mouth all the while, and every second he seemed more and more confident of his ultimate triumph. The engineer shrugged his shoulders and walked away, but before he was halfway down the hill he repented his harshness and turned back. The stern, forbidding look which his strong features habitually wore was now gone, and he put out his hand to the man. "'I want to shake hands with you,' he said. "'Until now I had always thought that I was the only one in the parish who knew what it was to yearn, but now I see that I have found my master.'" End of section 14 Read by Lars Rolander